Hey, I know you're here for the podcast, but give me 30 seconds to talk about a new service we just released for anyone working in a CPG brand. Finding the perfect co-packer or supplier can be a real pain. You spend hours Googling options, texting your colleagues, asking around different Slack groups, and still you get nothing. That's why we created Fiddle Connect Consulting, a done-for-you service that does all of the hard work of finding your dream co-packer or supplier. Best of all, it's 100% guaranteed and you get three free months of Fiddle Inventory Operations software included. Interested? Just go to lp.fiddle.io forward slash FCC. That's lp.fiddle.io forward slash FCC. Now, on with the episode. Welcome to the Physical Product Movement, a podcast by Fiddle. We share stories of the world's most ambitious and exciting physical product brands to help you capitalize on the monumental change in how, why, and where consumers buy. I'm your host, Ken Ojuka. episode, I speak with Andrew Runette, founder of Natural Food Solutions, an operations and strategy consulting company to CPG brands and food service businesses. Andrew started his career as an Italian-trained chef, then worked his way up the ranks at Whole Foods for 14 years. Leaning into his experience in CPG as a consultant, he now helps brands avoid the common operations mistakes he sees them making. He talks about powerful trends he sees in the marketplace and how brands are capitalizing on them. Andrew also shares some valuable tips on how to reduce cost when launching a new CPG product or food service business. Lots of great stuff in this episode. Enjoy. All right, Andrew. Hey, thanks for jumping on. Welcome to the podcast. How you doing? Good, good. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Good to be here. Yeah. Hey, so from the top, we, we just like to kick it off with, um, with a quote um, that, that's impactful to you or something that you, you like to live by. Do you have one in mind? Yeah, it's from uh, my favorite chef, um, Anthony Bourdain. Um, it's a simple one. It's your body is not a temple. It's an amusement park. Enjoy the ride. Um, <laughs> I think life is all about just enjoying the ride. So Perfect. Yeah, I love that. So for, for people who, who don't know you or your, your company, do you mind just telling us a little bit about your background? Sure. I trained under an Italian chef uh, in Pittsburgh, where I'm from, back in like end of high school, into college. Um, found Whole Foods Market in 2003. Uh, worked my way up the, the corporate ladder, if you will, um, and moved out to the West Coast in 2004. Uh, I was with Whole Foods for almost 14 years and then left uh, in 2016 to go to a few failed startups um, and then started my consulting company at the same time. And I've been consulting in the food space for um, a little over about five years now. So um, I help CPG brands uh, get into food service. and vice versa. So um, help food service brands as well kind of pivot into CPG. Uh, but I'm more on the operations side. And I'm really good at financials for startups in the CPG space. Awesome. And uh, you're in LA now, right? 
Yep, in LA, uh, a little south in Hermosa Beach. Yeah. Okay. Very nice. Um, well, I, I'm just curious, uh, Italian trained chef. Tell us a little bit more about that experience. Sure. Uh, I worked in a little tiny market uh, on Reynolds Street in, in Pittsburgh, and it was purchased uh, while I was working there. Um, oh, gosh, in like 1998, I believe, by an Italian chef. And he, you know, we kind of found a liking to each other. Uh, and he just started training me. Um, and I trained under him for about three years and then I became sous chef in one of his restaurants for about a year and a half. And then I realized I didn't love the nightlife of the restaurant world. Um, Mm -hmm. so that's when I, I decided to make the move to whole foods market, but, um, yeah, it was a, it was a cool kind of out of the blue experience and, you know, um, didn't really know what I was going to do with my career at that point in high school, but um, he really showed me a lot and made me fall in love with food. Cool. In your bio, you actually talk about, you know, um, uh, being interested in food from a pretty early age, from about, you know, 12 years old. Um, how did that passion start? And, and uh, I guess, how, how did it evolve over the years? I don't know exactly how it started. I've been asked that before. I mean, I I started washing dishes at at that market and I was like 12 years old. So I think just being around food and just being interested out, I I just remember always like scooping my finger through, you know, whatever mixing bowl it was and tasting the flavors. And I was like, oh man, this is cool. You know, I'm Mm -hmm. just interested in it. And then Then I I just asked to start prepping vegetables and, you know, cutting potatoes and onions and celery and carrots and whatnot um, for whatever the market was making for that week. And I think that's kind of where it where it started and where it came from, just kind of being around food. So my mom wasn't like the biggest um, chef or anything like that. So or cook. But um, yeah, yeah, I think that's where it started. Sure, sure. And, um, and tell us a little bit about the transition over to Whole Foods. You know, what, what took you there? And then, you know, you stayed there, obviously, 14 years. What, what was your role there? Oh, I had many. Um, the transition was nice because I was getting paid more um, and only working 40 hours a week instead of like 60 or 70. So that was really nice. Um, but <laughs> I saw, you know, I, I'm I saw, and I was, I mean, I'm 21, 22 years old, like having a nice work-life balance was, was cool. Um, college wasn't my thing. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, it, it was, it was interesting. And then I realized I could move up in the company. I mean, I knew I knew had to move out, out of Pittsburgh, which I wanted to do anyway. Um, but it was, it was a good kind of stepping stone to get out of Pittsburgh and, you know, have a job. And my, my cousin actually had moved, who's basically my brother, had moved to uh, California about a year before me. I went out and visited him, landed a interview while I was visiting him, and then got a position and moved. Um, probably within like a month or two, I, I was part of the uh, opening team of the Valencia store, which is like an hour north of Los Angeles. And I thought I was close to the beach, but it's back in like MapQuest days. So you couldn't, <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't really see where you were moving. Um, but held a lot of roles. I opened about 35 or more stores uh, with Whole Foods. And that's kind of how I 
worked my way up. I started opening stores just as a cook and then, you know, just as like a trainer on the, on the sandwich station. Um, Mm -hmm. and then folks, you know, saw my work ethic and, you know, knowledge and such. Um, and then I, I moved all the way up to what they call it as like an associate director position of food service, um, which associate prepared foods coordinator is the, is the title. Um, and that's, you know, kind of one of the supporting roles for overseeing all of the prepared foods department. Um, and that was about eight years long. I did that. Um, yeah. Nice. And then, uh, you know, you moved on to a couple startups, um, just want to get an idea of, of, you know, maybe a couple of lessons that you learned from, from these startups. You, you mentioned that uh, a couple of them failed, you know, yeah. some of the, sometimes those are the best learning experiences. What, what did you learn? What did you observe? They hundred percent are. Um, it is what I've learned and what I've just learned just throughout my career and working with different startups and just different companies, especially consulting the last few years is just, team the team is the most important thing it it really is is building a solid team um and finding the right people like don't just hire to hire um you know don't just hire based on people's resume either you know um it, it just one of the startups that failed was based out of miami and it was it was basically just a a a clash of personalities this is what really ended up happening. And the, the funding person pulled the plug just because people weren't getting along um, mm-hmm. and not seeing eye to eye on a lot of things. So that's, that's probably the biggest lesson I've learned is just building a, a really solid team and foundation. Um, you know, it doesn't, the product is important of course, but the team is what makes that product happen. Yeah. Understood. And, and you know, I, I'm sure most people don't set out to, you know, build a terrible team, you know, or a bad mm-hmm. team, you know, what, mm-hmm. what are, what are some things to look out for? I mean, I, I think you mentioned, you know, uh, just getting along, you know, being able to, to, you know, work um, effectively together, you know, are there, are there any other things that you see in, in, in good teams or high functioning teams? Uh, it's just, it's kind of just personality, um, mm-hmm. you know, and just hiring for personality that fits the team's personality. So, I think it's taking a step back if you're the founders and and looking at, you know, what will complement the founders, right? And what will complement everybody else on the team. I mean, skill set, of course, is important. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, I think that's just the, just finding that, that meshing, you know? Um, and it's not always going to be easy. I mean, it's going to take some work and some team building. Um, but I, I think that's the, the key. I really do. Um, awesome. I think that's, yeah. what, that's what John Mackey had always talked about. The CEO of Whole Foods is like, you know, it's just the, the teamwork and, and hiring the right people, you know, to fit into a situation, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, let's, let's jump to, you know, what you're doing now um, with natural food solutions. Can you tell us a little bit about, um, you know, your services, what you provide and, um, and maybe a couple examples of what you could do for, for a company. Sure. Sure. Um, yeah, so I, I've had the, the company for about four years. Um, you know, it's been, it's been a roller coaster ride of just kind of finding my niche in the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've, I've, I've found it in the sense of, I, I just love helping startups 
and I love guiding them. Um, so that's, that's really what I do. And it's, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a jack of all trades, but I really focus on, um, operations and financials and those two, how they go hand in hand. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm really good at both of them. Um, I've built out kind of a CPG startup financial template, um, that can be altered or just kind of a plug and play, uh, type of template. Um, and then, you know, I've, I'm just good at operations and just really figuring out what the best path is operationally, you know, whether it's finding a co-packer or, you know, introducing somebody to the right packaging company or, you know, just really putting the pieces together that is really tough in the, in the first, you know, year or two of a, of a CPG brand. Yeah. Let's, let's talk a little bit about, you know, the financials. Um, you know, what, what are some of the mistakes that you see startup companies um, making as they enter a CPG? I think the biggest mistake people make is just giving away margin dollars too early. Um, and, you know, just going with something because they see the, uh, you know, the big shiny sign on the front door type of thing, you know, so they get asked to go into Whole Foods or something like that, or, you know, Sprouts or, you know, some of these larger natural retailers, um, you know, they just, they give away too many margin dollars and, and don't know exactly what that negotiation looks like. Cause it is a negotiation. It's not like, you know, here's my cost of, of my cost of good. And here's what I'm going to give to you. You know, you, you really got to dial that in. And I think the second part is, is not knowing how to negotiate when you get into the co-packer side of things and the co-manufacturers um, and giving away, you know, not giving away dollars, but more or less, um, how do I put it? You know, it just, just not negotiating with the co-manufacturer, you know, um, mm-hmm. and looking at kind of what the, what the cost of goods looks like and just kind of, okay, this is what you're giving me. Then, you know, that's what I'm going with. But, you know, there's a negotiation there too. Sure. And would you say that's true for even, you know, new brands that are, that are pretty small, maybe don't feel like they have a lot of leverage in that negotiation? Um, yeah. You know, I, I talk to a lot of brands who are just, just happy that somebody will make their product. You know, they're so relieved to find that co-packer that they, um, you know, pretty much settle as, as you're explaining. You know, what, what points of leverage or what things do you think that they should uh, make sure to negotiate? I mean, it, it really varies from, from brand to brand and like what you're making, because a lot of it's, you know, seasonality sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. like I've got a client now where, where, um, you know, we're going to pitch Whole Foods probably next week, I'm hoping. Um, but, you know, the last few months has been working with a co-manufacturer and, and really finding the right one. Um, I think that's key that, that people miss is, is, finding the right co-manufacturer and not just going with like the one that you find first, you, you mm-hmm. know, um, and just having a little bit of patience. And I understand sometimes just, you know, you, you just have to move. Um, but I think that's, that's pretty key in finding the right, you know, the right person to work with. I mean, it goes back to what I was saying about hiring, you know, um, just finding that right fit. Sure, sure. And I think that makes sense. What you remind me of is, is um, a quote that I heard from a guy named Dan Kennedy. He's like a marketing guy. Um, and he talks about how the worst number in business is one. 
you know, anytime you just have one of something, you're vulnerable, you know, and, and I definitely see that with, with co-packer, you know, like you're saying, somebody finds a co-packer and they feel just, okay, this is my guy and I have to make it work. Whereas, you know, if you look at all your options and, and look around and really try to find multiple co-packers, then you know whether you're getting a good deal or, um, you know, you've got a plan B in case, you know, plan A falls through. Um, yeah. I mean, it's you know, just I, like building I, a house, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, you, if you're getting your paint done on the outside of your house, right, you know, you want to get a couple quotes, <laughs> you know, you don't right. want to just go with the first painter, you know, and, and, and look at the reviews and talk to people, you know, I mean, it's, it's just, um, but I, I see it happen more often than not, unfortunately, where, you know, people are just in a bind and brands are just in a bind and they have to, they kind of have to jump because they're on a deadline too, you know? Sure. Yeah. So what are your thoughts about, um, you know, some of these early brands, um, you know, trying to see if they can make this product themselves, you know, even just manufacturing or doing the initial batches in house if they can, um, you know, what are your thoughts around that strategy? I think that's the best way to start. You know, I, it's it's interesting with the change in like the direct to consumer area of things and you know obviously needing longer shelf life on certain things but mm-hmm. you know if you're making something i think that's the best place to start you know especially now with the, the shared kitchens and kind of the ghost kitchens that are out there that are pretty affordable um you know and even like shared commercial kitchens that like food trucks use you know those right. brands can get into there and and use those kitchens and you know, mess around with things and really figure out your flavor, you know, your flavor profiles, um, for exactly what you're, you know, you're trying to do, you know? So I I think that's a good place to start for sure is, you know, and you just have a a bit more control as well. Yeah. Understood. I mean, you could, you could start with smaller batches, you know, sure. Your margins may not be dialed in, but in the very beginning, you know, you're, you're not as, as concerned about that. Um, you just need to make sure you get the product right. And so yep. being able to iterate quickly is, is a huge, huge advantage. Um, yeah. And you mentioned flavor profiles, but, you know, even just, you know, iterating on stuff like packaging um, and, and uh, you know, flavors, of course, but um, even just product, you know, like how do, how do I, what do I name this product? How do I, you know, test that this name is resonating, you know, um, those types of mm-hmm. things. You, you want that control to be able to, to iterate quickly. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned ghost kitchens. I mean, for, for people who aren't familiar with that term, you know, I, I know what you're talking about, but maybe you could explain a little bit about that trend in the industry and, and how, a, you know, a new CPG brand would be able to, to get into one of those or find one. Sure. Um, there's a, there's a place here. I'm going to plug them. Um, but, uh, in LA, I think they've opened up like 10 now. And Mm -hmm. I think they have about 15 or 20 kitchens of different sizes in each. I think it's called cloud kitchens, but anyway, you know, the point being is you can rent them for pretty cheap. Um, and you can even test things on, you know, a DoorDash service or, you know, they're completely connected both digitally, um, you know, but also like just knowing people on that side of things. So you can rent their kitchen just to test things, but you can also rent their kitchens to test even like a delivery side of things, side of things. So um, I don't think they have, I think some of them have like just minimum, you know, maybe a month or two, but I think that's probably a perfect time to test. Mm -hmm. Um, But 
yeah, that that's that industry is is just going crazy. It's it's nuts. I mean, restaurants are using it. You know, I, I see a lot of food trucks pivoting out of it. You know, out of the food truck thing, just into that, especially with the, all the things that went down the last year and a half. But right, right um, with COVID. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, exactly. So. Yeah, it seems like COVID, COVID was a huge accelerant for that industry. Um, just, you know, being able to to get food delivered uh, to your home. And so to your point, you know, I think a few years ago, the big strategy, if you were starting a restaurant was, let's launch a, a food truck. You know, that's a cheap way to do this or a cheaper way to do it. We can test out, you know, our concept. Um, but I think cloud kitchens are proving to be an even better way to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah I mean, and so celebrities I, are using it, which is crazy. And, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. It's really cool. It's a really cool concept. But I, and so, I, I see a lot of opportunity for brands in the CPG space doing that, for sure. Sure. Um, do you mind explaining that just a little bit? Yeah, I mean, just like I was saying, I mean, I, I think it's just a great place to test. Um, but it, it may just be a way to, you know, pivot, um, you know, as well and add another revenue stream, right? You know, like say you're... I don't have a good example, but, you know, maybe even if you, you're making a good sauce, right? Um, any type of sauce, you know, say like an Indian flavored sauce that you're already in some grocery stores, but, you know, why not use that sauce and deliver it, you know, to people's houses via cloud kitchen, you know? Um, yeah, I just think it's a really just cool vessel for lots of different opportunities. And I don't, I don't think a lot of people have, done it that way yet or looked at it that way you know yeah Um, Yeah, it's true yeah so yeah i I mean that that concept uh, you know it still kind of blows my mind right that you can have a restaurant that's completely virtual right Um, you don't have a you know you don't actually have a a, a storefront or um you know a dine-in um part of part of the restaurant it just exists on you know something like uber eats or doordash um, yeah. you know, you name it, you know, let's say, let's go with that uh, Indian food restaurant, you name it, you know, whatever you want and you test out this concept. And if it hits, you expand on it. If it doesn't, you know, you can quickly pivot into Korean food or, you know, like yeah. some, some other niche of, of food. Um, yeah. I, I think, I think it's fascinating. Me too. I've, I've, I've looked into it in depth, even for myself, you know, just to, you know, as I've always been interested in opening something like that, you know, but the capital behind it is is huge, you know, but this, this makes it a lot more accessible, you know, so. And, and so the, the advantage to, to a CPG company, you know, that's, that's brand new out of the gate, you know, let's say that you've got a concept for like a protein bar. Um, so you could rent one of these spaces and instead of, you know, delivering food via DoorDash or something like that. Um, you would actually just use their commercial kitchens to come up with your first prototypes, um, even your first, you know, initial runs uh, of this protein, of this protein Exactly. Bar. Yep, exactly. And, then, and they, then you, I think yeah. they have cooler space and storage and all that stuff, you know. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure they have the whole nine to, to be able to do all the things you need to do to to become a brand. Yeah. 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 And, and just to completely land the plane, you know, this helps it helps you to not have to invest in real estate, not have to invest in expensive equipment, you know, freezers, fridges, you know, all the things that you would need in order to actually produce this stuff in house. Yeah, exactly. Like you said, if you're a protein bar and you're, you know, say you want to do it, um, 
you know, you're going to do it like, uh, like direct to consumer, right? You could produce those protein bars in one of these kitchens, you know, probably freeze them if that's the way you're going or even refrigerate them and send them out that way. Right. You know, you, you don't have to like have your own manufacturing facility, you know? So. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's a, that's a huge, huge advantage that, you know, wasn't available even just a few years ago. Um, yeah. So let's talk just a little bit about iteration on the, you know, on the go to market, you know, what, what are some of the mistakes that you see when people, you know, let's say try to enter uh, grocery or, or uh, re- retail, you know, what, what are some of the mistakes um, people typically make? Um, just not having everything in line. Um, and, and I see, meaning like not projecting their, their inventories correctly, you know, selling out, um, which is, which is okay to do in certain cases, if you know, you're going to sell out and you're kind of want to draw people in that way, but that's more on the direct to consumer side of things. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, just not planning inventory. Um, I see happen a lot and I've seen happen a lot over the years. Um, and that, that's a, you know, that's a, just not knowing the industry and not knowing what you can ask the buyers at the grocery stores. I mean, they're, they're, they should be giving you a lot of these, a lot of this information and projecting inventory for you, but, um, you know, projecting sales with you as well. Um, but sometimes they don't, or the brands don't ask the right questions, you know? Um, so I, I think it's just, you know, talking to someone like myself or talking to other brands, um, on their journey, um, you know, is, is, is a huge kind of way to be ready for getting into a retailer, you know, like if you're getting into any kind of regional, you know, natural grocery store, um, most of them should be able to give you that information, but you know, I think that's the biggest mistake I see is just the, the inventory side of things. Sure. Yeah. And, and obviously we, we do too, as well, you know, we're running software company that manages inventory. Um, yep. We see the inventory mistakes, you know, um, pretty, pretty much every day. I was going to um, ask you that. I know your interview may have asked you that same question. You probably <laughs> see that too, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And especially, I think, I think people are okay at the the finished good inventory, you know, and in a lot of ways, that's a lot easier to, to manage. Um, I think where it really gets complicated though, is, is when you've got uh, these raw materials, especially raw materials that go into several different products. Um, and maybe you, you, you've got uh, one supplier, you know, again, to our, you know, previous comments about just depending on one, you know, I think you're vulnerable. Um, yep, but, but that's, that's what leads to the stockouts. It's generally not that you just ran out of the finished product. Well, you did, but the reason you did is because of, you know, one of the, you know, the 20 or 30 raw materials that go into this product. And, um, you know, you just weren't keeping a close enough eye on that, you know, and that's what caused the problem. Yeah. You know, so, exactly. so anyway, that's, that, that's the kind of thing that we see, you know, almost on a daily basis. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I want to double double ta- um, you know double down a little bit and maybe drill in on the uh, example of of launching a protein bar company, you know. So let's say that you're consulting with 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 somebody who is doing that, and you know they're looking at uh, you know possibly D to C, um, 
or, or they're, you know, they're trying to get into grocery store and they're just trying to think of like, what's the best, best path forward, you know, to, to start to actually get some sales. Um, what, what would be your advice to somebody in, in, in those shoes? Um, having a plan, um, and you know, just, and, and what I mean by that is, you know, having a plan of like, okay, here's my target customer. Here's where they shop. Um, you know, what does that grocery store look like? What do I need, you know, for that grocery store to get into that grocery store? Number one, but what does their shopper look like? What are their busiest stores? Um, I mean, there's a, I feel like a million questions that I've listed out that I, you know, I share with brands. Um, uh-huh. but yeah, just, just having, you know, having a plan. I, I think that's the the thing I, people miss on sometimes is they're just kind of flying by the seat of their pants and, you know, and then, you know, but having a list of questions to, you know, going back and asking the buyers, um, and knowing, you know, so you're a protein bar. So when, when are the resets for these different category reviews, right? For each grocery that you're trying to get into, you know, mm-hmm. when are their resets? I mean, like take, take, for example, I don't know the protein bar off the top of my head, but a good example is the juice company I'm working with right now is mm-hmm. we have to have the pitch deck over to the buyer uh, today. Um, and then I'm assuming we'll have a pitch within the next two weeks, but we won't be potentially, if it's approved, we wouldn't be into any whole foods market until end of October. Right. So, you know, just understanding the, the, the drawn out, um, kind of category reviews and, and, Granted, Whole Foods is a much bigger company than some of the regional grocers, but, you Mm -hmm. know, just really knowing all these ins and outs of getting into a grocery store. So, you know, just sitting down and planning on how you're going to figure all these things out, you know? Sure. Um, And, and, you know, you mentioned talking to the buyer. I mean, how would somebody even get in touch with with a buyer or go about finding, you know, buyers for, for these different stores? What's the best way to do that? What, what's some of the advice that you give um, along those lines? So the advice I give is it's tough to find who the buyers are. Um, you know, I, I've always been a big proponent of creating relationships, you know, and as a brand and continuing those relationships. So I say, go into your local grocery store, talk to whoever manages the department that you're trying to get into, talk to them talk to the local store, talk to the store manager, you know, take some product with you, you know, sell your products on the local level um, is, is hands down the best way to go. Um, uh, if you don't want to do that, which I think you should, but <laughs> you know, um, LinkedIn, I mean, is, is probably one of the best ways to find out who buyers are and then talk to other brands. I mean, uh-huh. even if you're a competitor, you know, talk to, talk to your competitors, you know, I mean, I, I talk to occasionally talk to my, you know, competitors in the consulting world because there's numerous of me, you know, so, um, just creating, you know, many relationships, um, in that, in that realm. So. Understood. Yeah. Yeah. That's some good advice. Um, 
let's um let's switch gears just a little bit. Um, you know, I kind of want to talk about trends and and maybe uh, uh, you know the effects of, of COVID and kind of what you're seeing in the in the brand uh, CPG space. You know, we we did talk about about one. You know, with these ghost kitchens and that how you know those have expanded and those are great opportunities for CPG brands. Um, you know, what what other trends have you seen just in general? Um, you know, with with CPG brands, maybe how they they should go to market, some things they need to take into consideration that maybe they didn't before. Um, just the effects of COVID on the industry in general. Do you have Do you have any sure. that come to mind? Yeah, I mean, DT, D, direct to consumer, I think is is a must in this day and age in CPG. Um, you know, I think it's 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 a way for you to not only be able to talk directly to your customer because you really can't do that necessarily. At being in a grocery store, mm-hmm. um, you know, but I, I think direct to consumer is just a must for really any brand, but specifically CPG. Um, you know, I know it might be tougher on the fresh side of things and the, you know, the frozen side of things can get a little, uh, more challenging, but you know, if you're, if you're a shelf stable item, you know, direct to consumers is it's huge. Um, you know, and it, it goes along the lines of, you know, with COVID and how, you know, these brands, you know, these grocery stores saw their online sales skyrocket, you know, um, mm-hmm. uh, that's just, I think it's probably leveling out. You know, you're starting to see that trend a bit, um, especially as things start to reopen. But um, yeah, I think just the digital, the digital age isn't going anywhere. Um, so I think that's a that's a must for brands. Um, and yeah. and if you're not, you know, if you can follow the the plant based trend and like the ferment fermentation trend is is going to be huge. I don't see that going anywhere. Um, I mean, I'm sure you've seen the news about Tyson and the CEO. You know, he's he's saying I actually have it. Yeah. What do you mean? Um, oh, you, oh, you yeah, mean like yeah. the, the Impossible Burger and, and things like that? Like yeah, plant-based yeah, meat? Yeah, exactly. I mean, and plant-based in general. I mean, you know, you've mm. got Burger Kings in Europe that are opening up just plant-based. Um, you know, you're, you're just seeing plant-based fast food pop up all over the place. So if you're a brand and you can create another product that's plant-based, I mean, ride that wave. You know, I don't see that going away at all. I, I only see it growing, you know. And then uh, can you mention just a little bit about fermentation? You know, what, what you meant by that trend and, and you know, kind of the opportunities there? Sure. Yeah. I mean, kombucha's, um, you know, taken off in the last six years, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Um, we're starting to see uh, different proteins coming out of fermentation. Um, which is really interesting and cool. Um, you know, like there's a company, I think they're based out of Canada called perfect day. I mean, Mm -hmm. they're making dairy out of fermentation processes, you know? So, um, which is really cool. Um, you know, just, um, I mean, even like kimchi, you know, the different types of kimchi and pickling and things like that, all that is still super trendy you know, so. Nice. Nice. Okay. So I think, uh, I think that's a good overview of some of, some of the trends. Were, were there any other trends maybe that you wanted to, to mention? Uh, I mean, I think food service, I'll go back to that. Um, you know, I, I think food service is going to come back really strong. 
So if you're if you're a brand that can pivot to food service, um, you know, like I can go back to the Indian thing. Um, you know, say you're a CPG brand with an Indian flavored jarred sauce, figure out how you can, you know, make a bulk pack of that and get it into food service places, you know, or just sell your product into restaurants to use, you know, or food trucks or I don't know. There's so many different revenue streams that you can go after with food service. Um, it's much mm-hmm. more wide open than, than getting into a grocery store you know so yeah yeah interesting well we're we're about um at time um so i I wanted to just shift over to the quick fire round i've got four questions for you and uh sure just want to want to get the the first thing that comes to mind um what is uh, one tool or resource that that you find extremely valuable in your job today uh sun is like a kind of to-do list app that i absolutely love i've been using for about three months now. Um, it, it really organizes my day, puts a nice focus onto my day, connects to my calendar, connects to my Trello boards. Um, yeah, Sun Sama. Nice. Sun Sama. Okay, I'll have to check it out. Uh, what's cool. what's a book? What's a book that you can recommend uh, to the audience? Find Your Why by Simon Sinek. It's sitting right in front of me. <laughs> I'm about halfway through. I've actually got it on Audible, and I but I haven't listened to it yet. It's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a journey that everybody should go down. Is finding your why. Nice. Um, what's one piece of advice that you would give to your twenty-one-year-old self? Oh man, invest more. Buy real estate, <laughs> <laughs> especially at these prices right now. Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> Yeah, well, and I'm, I'm sure it's nuts in California as well. Oh, it's, yeah. The median price is ridiculous now. It's up like 200 grand in two years or something like that. Well, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, I can't remember the movie, um, but there's some movie where somebody goes back in time and he says plastics, you know, invest in plastics or something. Yeah. Um, back in the yeah. 80s. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Maybe today, today's might be if you went back in time. Uh, let's say you went back 10 years, say, buy Bitcoin, you know. Seriously, might be something I like know. Yeah, exactly. Um, who is one person in your field of work that you'd love to sit down and uh, take to lunch? I'm going to go with a competitor of mine. I've, I'd love to sit down and talk with Ali Ball. Yeah, I who's that? Uh, mm-hmm. She's another consultant. You know, she's uh, she seems like a really cool person. We've talked briefly, but... Um, you know, I just enjoy what she's doing, what she's putting together and how she's helping brands. She's doing a tremendous job. Nice. All right. As we wrap up here, um, just want to um, give you an opportunity. Just tell us a little bit about your services and, and who, you know, who should contact you? You know, who's, who's sort of your ideal client? Sure. Um, yeah. Again, my company is Natural Food Solutions. Yeah, I, if, I'm really good at helping brands pivot from CPG into food service. So I talk a lot about that and I have kind of throughout this interview. Um, mm-hmm. That's one thing I'm really good at helping brands pivot and just really strategy on, on finding different revenues. Um, and then on the revenue side, I'm really good at just financially modeling. Um, you know, I, I've got a template that I have for brands that, 
is a full-blown planning template. You've got your P&L, you've got your costing calculators, you've got your promotional calculators, you've got your sales planning calculator by retailer and kind of by revenue stream. So um, that's that's been pretty helpful to a bunch of the brands that I've uh, worked with that use it, um, you know, and my current clients. So, yeah, those are probably my, my two best services that I offer. Um, and, and just and, guidance. And yeah. And if, and um, just, you know, I'd, I'd plug, you know, just a wide, um, you know, breadth of knowledge about the industry and experience uh, in the industry, mm-hmm. you know, so, so you don't feel like you're, you're kind of just feeling around in the dark, you know, as to how yep. to go forward. Yeah, um, exactly. I love helping brands. So, and, and what's um what's the best way to uh, get in touch with you if somebody wanted to reach out to you? Um, my website uh, it's natural foodsolutions dot uh, com, and then my you know Instagram, uh, and then LinkedIn. LinkedIn's probably the best way. Just find me, Andrew Renette. Um, you know, I'm I'm somewhat active on there, so. Well, awesome. Andrew, hey, I appreciate it. Um, I think this has been a good interview. Um, I'd actually, you know, like to to do a part two here. Um, you know, um, you know, maybe in six, eight months as people as sure. people come out of COVID and 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 talk a little bit more about some of the trends and some of the opportunities. I think that that uh, that would be really helpful to the listeners. Yeah, same Ken. This has been awesome. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'd love to do that. Absolutely. All right, Andrew. Hey, thanks a lot. We'll talk later. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. The Physical Product Movement Podcast is brought to you by Fiddle. To find out more about Fiddle and how our industry-leading inventory ops platform is giving modern brands and manufacturers full visibility into their inventory and operations, visit fiddle.io. And then make sure to search for Physical Product Movement in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Fiddle, thanks for listening.